Well, good morning. Just a couple of reminders before we dive into the message this morning. Our youth leadership team would like to meet with all youth parents and youth for just a few moments after the service right here, okay? Youth parents, youth over here in this section for a few moments after the service. Also, two weeks from today is our first potluck in our new building. And uh, we want you to sign up. We want you to be a part of it. We're going to turn the room very quickly after the service is over. We're going to be setting up tables in here. Uh, we're going to be having the food out there. We're going to have a nice time of fellowship in here. And hopefully it will be the start of maybe you getting to know some people here at the Oasis a little bit better and maybe making some new friendships or building some new friendships. We're going to be in the passage of 1 John, the first letter of John in the New Testament, chapter 2, verses 15 through 27 this morning. 1 John 2, 15 through 27, and we're actually going to start, though, at verse 20. Before we do that, let's be reminded about what we're talking about here this morning. The entire letter of 1 John is about fellowship. What is fellowship? Fellowship goes beyond relationship. You and I can have a relationship with God or a relationship with other people and yet not have or be in fellowship. And John says throughout this letter, we miss so much when you and I maybe have a relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, but we're not living in fellowship with God. Because what is fellowship? Fellowship is closeness. Fellowship is connection. Fellowship is sharing life together. It is, it is intimacy. Um, again, one can have a relationship but not have fellowship. And John is calling us to fellowship here in this letter. And everything he says to us in this letter has in some way or fashion to do with fellowship. How it affects us, what it is, and all of that. And we're going to see that more this morning. Now, before we actually get into it, here's what I'd like you to remember today. And for those of you that like to take notes, I would certainly encourage you, if you write something down, write this down. Fellowship equals a choice coupled with conviction and commitment. Let me repeat that. Fellowship equals a choice coupled with conviction and commitment. You see, like a relationship, fellowship means, first of all, I have to choose it. Just as we choose our relationships in our life, including our relationship with God. God never forced himself on any of us. He never made any of us believe in him as our Savior. But that was a choice that God gave to us, okay? Well, the same thing is true with fellowship. God is always going to be here. But God's not going to force himself on us. If we want to get closer to God, as James even says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. If we want to get closer to God, God's all for that. But he won't force that fellowship upon us. He will wait until we choose that fellowship, choose to get close to God. And just like any fellowship that you and I, well, I would have with each other or with God, there has to be conviction involved and there has to be a commitment to it. Otherwise, so many other things in our life 
begin to pile up to where we don't get together anymore, just like with each other, because we're so busy and, and there's all these things to do and I just don't have time and I just don't have, you know, the, the uh, energy for it anymore. And so that's why John is reminding us in this passage that if we want fellowship with God, it's almost a choice that you and I have to make every day. A choice that's based on the foundation of a conviction that we believe that fellowship, that there's nothing that would be more valuable to me than fellowship with God. It's got to start there. And then I've got to be committed to it. And I've got to stay committed to it. I've got to be committed to that relationship and to that fellowship just as I do any relationship or fellowship with even another human being. Otherwise, guess what? We begin to drift away from each other and drift apart. And that can happen to us as Christians where even at one time we were closer to God than we are now. Well, the question I think John would have for us is, are you making that choice every day to get close to God? And is that choice of fellowship with God, is it based on real conviction? And do you have a real commitment to it? So let's begin, first of all, in verse 20 of this passage, 1 John 2.20, where John says, Nevertheless, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. What we're going to try to do here this morning, first of all, is answer the question, what is this anointing and what do we know? <laughs> okay? What is the anointing from God that we have and what do we know? And you'll notice in verse 21, John says, I'm not writing to you because you don't know the truth. I'm writing to you because you already know, which reminds us that it's important for us as Christians always to be reminded about things we already know. We should never get to the place as a Christian where we feel like we've grown past or we matured beyond being reminded of things that we already know. Look at verse 27. John begins to give us insight into what is the anointing and what do we know. He says, now, as for you, the anointing that you received from him, God, resides in you. So let's stop there. First of all, he's telling us this anointing is not an external thing, it's an internal thing. This anointing is something or someone that resides inside of us as a Christian. Then he goes on to say in verse 27, and we have no need for anyone to teach us because he says this anointing that resides within us teaches us about all things and it is true and it is not a lie just as it teaches us, you reside in him. I think when you study and read this verse, it's pretty clear that the anointing that John is talking about is the person and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because Jesus described the presence of the Holy Spirit in us in a very similar way. He said, when the Holy Spirit would come, he will reside in you and be with you forever that he will guide you into all truth, that he will be your ultimate teacher. Not that we don't need other teachers in our life, but ultimately it's not the teacher that's going to teach us. It's the Holy Spirit using that teacher to teach us or taking what the teacher says and teaching us 
what you and I need at that particular moment. So ultimately, the Holy Spirit should always be our teacher, if you will. And then he says he'll teach you everything that you and I need to know about God. But he ends with this. He says, just as he's already taught you, you reside in him. John leaves verse 27 with this exhortation from, in a sense, the Holy Spirit himself saying, the Holy Spirit is going to be this internal witness that you and I as Christians have at all times in our life. And the Holy Spirit is constantly going to be witnessing to us Stay close to Jesus. Keep your connection with Jesus. Don't disconnect yourself from Jesus. Stay intimate with Jesus. Stay connected. Be in fellowship with him. Go after him. Pursue him. You know, that's going to be a constant thing. So when you go back to verse 20, when John says, nevertheless, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know John understands that his audience already knows what he's talking about. He's talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life who will be their everyday witness internally that they should be in fellowship with God, that they should stay connected to God at all times and not disconnect themselves from God because if we don't have that conviction and we don't have that commitment, as you and I know even in our lives with other things and other relationships, things will begin to start pushing other things out or crowding other things out. And pretty soon, if we're not committed to it, it gets neglected. That's why I'd like to take you now up to verse 25, where John says, now this is the promise that he himself promised us, eternal life. Eternal life. That's the promise that God has given to every one of God's children. We can have eternal life. And let's remember something. John later on in chapter 5, verse 11 says, and this life is in his son. And it's not just in a relationship with his son, it's in fellowship with his son. It's in staying close and staying connected to Jesus every day of my life. Because again, eternal life is defined in the Bible not just as a quantity of life that you and I are going to live forever, because everybody's going to do that after this life. That's not the issue. It's more about the quality of our life, both here on earth as God's children and then in glory forever and ever. It's a quality of life. And so don't miss what John is saying. This quality of life that we call and, and described in the Bible as eternal life really can only be enjoyed and experienced and engaged with when you and I as Christians not only have a relationship with God, but where we are living every day in fellowship with God. So if, if I as a Christian am not living in fellowship with God, then I'm really not experiencing or enjoying the eternal life that God wants me to have, that he died for, which is why Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly, but it's a maybe thing. They've got to want it. You and I have to choose it. And that choice has got to be based on a conviction of who we believe Jesus is and what he offers us is better than anything that anyone else or any other thing could offer us. That's why in verse 26, notice what John says. I have written to you these things 
because I want to talk to you about those who are trying to deceive you. You see, one of the main reasons why John wrote this letter is because the Christians that he was writing to were being deceived. Deceived from what? That Jesus basically is the end-all, be-all. You see, there were people that filtered into the church and were basically influencing and teaching other Christians that, hey, you want Jesus? That's fine. Because the enemy will never come at us like, get rid of Jesus. He's no good. He's a dirty, rotten scoundrel. They, they doesn't work that way. They'll say, oh, you have Jesus? That's great. We're so glad you have Jesus. But now start adding all these other things. And, and as you hear about this, oh, go after that. Spend your time on that. And oh, you can do this? Oh, spend your time on that. And pretty soon as Christians, we have Jesus, but we've also got so much of this other stuff in our lives that we're busy doing that somehow our fellowship time, our time with God becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller to where our earthly life is primarily filled with all these earthly endeavors and our spirit is starving, our soul is just gasping for spiritual breath because we spent very little time in fellowship with Jesus and we're really not experiencing eternal life. That's why if you go up to verse 24, notice what John says. He says, as for you, what you heard from the beginning must remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, then you and I will remain in the Son and in the Father. Notice, conditional. But he's not talking about relationship, folks. He's not talking here about the fact that if I don't, uh, you know, keep what I've heard from the beginning in me, that somehow I lose my salvation, that I lose the relationship. Again, the context of 1 John is not relationship, it's fellowship. He's simply saying, if you and I don't keep what we've heard from the beginning in us, what's he saying there? In a sense, he's saying, what have we heard from the beginning when the Holy Spirit entered us? Well, according to verse 27, to stay connected to Jesus, to be in fellowship, to reside in him, to abide in him. Isn't that what Jesus even taught? If you read the Gospels, what did he keep telling his disciples? Remain in me, abide in me. You know, the vine and the branches have to be constantly together or else you won't be fruitful. You won't experience abundant life. I mean, over and over again, Jesus said the same thing to those who already believed in him and were following him, but he was urging them and exhorting them to fellowship. And John is simply saying that what we heard from the beginning is that we should stay in fellowship with Jesus and that, that the primary influence of our life should be the value that we place on our fellowship with Jesus and that the eternal life that we want to experience can only be found in him. And that should be the conviction. Otherwise, John says... If that doesn't remain in me, which I had at the beginning of my Christian life, then I will not remain in the Son or in the Father. In other words, my fellowship will be broken. I will begin to drift further and further and further away from God. And even though I have a relationship with him, I have no fellowship. God feels very distant. He feels very far away. I feel like 
you know, me and God are not even on the same page anymore. My life is not aligned with him. And here's the thing John's saying. That breaks God's heart. Because God never walks away from us. God never chooses not to have fellowship with us. God's always inviting us more and more to him. God is saying, I want you to get closer to me, but I want it more than you do for the most part. And we all have to hear the message of John here. John is saying, do we really believe that the best life we could ever experience only comes through fellowship with Jesus? John's calling it, because he's, he's saying, if you and I as Christians don't even really believe that, if that's not our conviction, then fellowship is going to not be that important to us. Because we believe that something or someone else or something else in our life can fulfill and satisfy us more than Jesus can. And therefore, if we don't have that conviction, we also won't be committed to that fellowship. Again, it'll be something that is expendable. So again, when I begin to get offers in my schedule and in my calendar for all these other things that I could be involved in, I don't guard my time with Jesus because it's not really the most important thing in my schedule and calendar, even as a Christian. All these other things provide me just as much fulfillment and satisfaction as my relationship with Jesus does. And John says, oh my, what will we miss as a Christian when we don't keep living close to Jesus Christ, because only in Jesus, only in fellowship with Jesus, can you and I truly experience eternal life, the highest quality of life, the best life that you and I as human beings on this earth could ever experience. So with that said, Let's go back then to the beginning of this passage in verse 15, 16, and 17 and listen to what John says and why he says it in the context of this passage we're looking at this morning. I think it'll make more sense to you. Instead of taking these verses out of their context, now read verses 15, 16, and 17 in the context that we've just built from verse 20 through 27. John says to us as Christians, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in them. Because all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the arrogance produced by material possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with all of its desires, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. Amen. John is saying... Here it is, Christian. We live in the world. And Jesus said, I'm not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world. In fact, I want to send them into the world. So you and I are going to be in this world. But what we have to always be cognizant of and aware of is that in this world, the world is going to constantly try to pull us from our fellowship with Jesus Christ. Because the world is always going to offer us other things. You know, do this. Hey, this is the next greatest thing. This is the thing that everybody's doing. You got to get on board with this. You got to spend your time here. You got to be involved with this. Oh my goodness, you can't pass that opportunity up. 
and there's all these things. And he says it plays on our flesh. It, it, it messes with our eyes, you know, all, all these things or whatever. And so even Christians begin to pursue these things, what the world has to offer, rather than fellowship with Jesus. And notice a couple of things that John says here. First of all, he says, when you and I as a Christian live more for the things of the world than we do spiritual things, the things of God, he says it shows that we really don't love God. Because in a sense, we are choosing by the, by the choices that we make, by the decision, by what we're spending our time and our money and all these things on. We're showing that we love this more than we love God. So he says, the love of the Father is really not in you. You really don't have a love for God. Otherwise, your reception of God's love for you, knowing how much God loves you, and then in turn, us loving him would show that our priorities would be different. Our calendar would be different. Our schedule would be different. The things that we say no to or say yes to, all of that would change, he says, because of our love for God. Because again, going back, we would have the conviction and commitment that there's no greater life that I could experience than being in fellowship with Jesus. So whatever that looks like, whatever is within Jesus is the best I could ever have. Anything outside of Jesus, I'm settling. Any, anything that Jesus doesn't bring me, anything that I cannot experience outside of him is always going to be second best compared to what Jesus will give me. And let me even go on to say this, also in God's time. Because sometimes it's a timing thing where it's like God is saying, trust me, trust me, believe in me, have faith in me, that if I, I'll say it this way, if you and I really needed something, we should have the faith as Christians to know that God would give it to us if we really needed it. Because there's nowhere in the Bible that says God holds out on his children. That if you and I really need something, no, the Bible says just the opposite. My God will supply all our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so God is not a stingy God. Everything the Bible says about the character of our God is just the opposite. He's a giving, gracious God. We can't outgive God. So, do I really believe that if I really needed something and that it would really fulfill and satisfy me that somehow God would withhold it? Because that's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is just the opposite. If I really need it and it will truly fulfill and benefit and profit me, then God will make sure it's mine. Or, again, in his perfect timing, he'll bring that or this or whatever into my life. And that if I start to reach outside of God for something, I begin to settle. I begin to live a secondary best life compared to the eternal life that I could live simply by keeping myself just within Jesus. Because within Jesus, John says, and within fellowship with him is the best life I could ever have. There's no reason to look outside of Jesus. There's no reason to go outside of Jesus for whatever you and I need. Because if we do, what we're really saying is, and this is where the deception came in that John was talking about. I'm writing these things to you about people who are deceiving you that somehow we can experience a better life outside of Jesus than we can inside. 
that somehow what the world has to offer us and will continue to offer us, what they keep knocking and putting pressure on us to buy into is somehow going to be better than what Jesus offers us. That's why John says to us, don't love the world. Because if you love the world and the things that are in the world and the things that the world offers you more than what God is offering to you and what he wants to give you, then you really don't have a love for God. And then the second thing he says of why we shouldn't love the world is because he says, when you and I go after the things of the world, it is absolutely temporal. He says, the world's going to one day pass away with all of its desires. In other words, everything that you and I invest in, in a worldly way, in an earthly way, and all of that, it's so temporary. It's so here today, gone tomorrow type thing, and it's not something that we can enjoy or experience or take with us on into eternity. He says, you, you realize all the things that you're living for are not eternal things. But he says, but if you're a man or woman of God and you seek to invest in eternal things and you seek to live for what God asks you to live for and encourages us to live for, he says that will remain forever. Now, the sad thing is that the Bible does teach us that there will be Christians who have lived their life as a Christian in relationship with God, but who have not lived in fellowship with God. And basically, when they die or the rapture takes place, they have nothing of eternal value to carry over with them to heaven. As Paul says to the Corinthians, everything is burned up that they've lived for because they were deceived. The pull of the world was stronger than their love for Jesus Christ and wanting to stay close to him and be in fellowship with him. So all of a sudden, worldly things began to crowd out their time and the energy and all of that that they could have for God and for godly things and for spiritual things. And pretty soon they looked up at the end of their life and they had nothing spiritually or eternally to show for it. And John says, oh, how tragic. Because God wants his children to be involved not only in living the highest quality of life you and I could live now, but also in investing in eternal things and laying up treasure in heaven, as Jesus said to his followers. But then, John doesn't stop there. Notice what he says in verse 18 and 19. He says, children... It is the last hour. And just as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Oh, most Christians know that, right? Bible teaches this guy called the Antichrist is going to come on the world scene at the end of time during the great tribulation and all of that. But don't miss what John continues to say there. He says, so now many Antichrists have appeared. Now, wait a minute. You, you mean there's more than one Antichrist? Technically, yeah. There's, there's only one Antichrist as far as that person who's going to fulfill that role, if you will, during the Great Tribulation that's going to place himself in the temple of God and blaspheme God by claiming to be God. But John says the spirit of Antichrist, 
was present 2,000 years ago. In fact, John says, by the way, that mark that we're living in the last hour, and that was 2,000 years ago, how much closer are we now if John is describing when he lived 2,000 years ago as the last hour? And John says, so many antichrists have appeared. In fact, he says, we know from this, verse 18, that it is the last hour because there's so many antichrists out there. So let's talk for a moment about that. Because we needed to define fellowship again today and we needed to talk about what is the anointing and what we know, but what, what does he mean there's so many antichrists? Well, the word antichrist doesn't just mean against Christ, which is the way most of us take it. It also means instead of Christ. Hear me now. Instead of Christ. So in other words, the spirit of Antichrist, again, won't come at us and say, oh, get rid of Jesus. No, but what the spirit of Antichrist will do is do this and do that and get involved in that. And, and so pretty soon, again, our life is all this other stuff instead of Christ. We don't have any time or energy or anything anymore for Jesus because our life is filled with all this other stuff. And John says, wow, when Jesus is not the priority, when we're not committed to making our fellowship with Jesus and our, our, our time with Jesus and all of that, and we're not really committed to it, and that's not the choice that we're making every day, John says, pretty soon we can look up and our life is this much Jesus and this much everything else. And John says, I hate to tell you, that's the kind of people, now don't miss this, in verse 19, he says, this is the kind of people that you run into where? At work, at school, in your community, some, you know, drug den. No, he says, you know where you run into people who have this attitude? Don't miss what John's saying in verse 19. Look at it carefully. The church. John says, you realize you're going to rub shoulders with fellow Christians who have adopted this mentality. Why? Because John says, they went out from us. They used to be part of us. And he says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us because he said if they really belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but they went out from us to demonstrate that all of them do not belong to us, meaning they all don't have the same conviction that we're going after Jesus Christ. And we're not going to get caught up in all the stuff that the world and everything else that we could get caught up in. We're not going to look around and say, oh, I, I, you know, I, I should be doing this and be doing I'm, I'm missing out somehow by being a dedicated, committed Christian. You know, that's the way many times we as Christians, if we're honest, we struggle with that. We look around at, at all the people in the world and, and the people, who, all the movers and shakers, and we, we start to feel sorry for ourselves. And the reason I know we do that is because if you read your Bible, you find out that there were many followers of God, Old and New Testament, that felt the same way at times. Like somehow we're missing out. Like sometimes the people that are really getting everything in life, they're the ones that are the ungodly. And, and they're the ones that aren't dedicated. And they're the ones that aren't committed. And they seem to have everything the world has. And they seem to be happy. And they've got all their needs met. And they've got all this stuff. And, and, and what do I got? And I'm just trying to live for the Lord. And I got nothing to show for it. Amen. And John's saying, be careful. <laughs> 
be careful that you're not being deceived. Because that lie goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when the tempter came to Eve and said, God's holding out on you. Yeah, he told you he could have all this, but he told, yeah, he, now he's holding out on you. You really want to live? You got to go outside of God. Because as long as you stay within God, you're going to miss out. So you got to go outside of God. You got to make that choice. Otherwise, you'll never be fulfilled. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never experience the highest quality of life in God. You got to go outside of God. And that's exactly the choice Adam and Eve made. We're going outside of God. And that's exactly the same temptation and deception that goes on in our lives every day, which is why I started this message with this statement. Fellowship with God must equal a choice coupled with conviction and commitment. Otherwise, we have no fellowship with God. Day goes by and weeks go by and months go by and years go by and our life is filled with all this stuff that the world can offer us. All these things that the Antichrists went after. People even who used to be part of the church but all of a sudden now church is not important anymore. There's more important things on Sunday and, and Wednesday and throughout the week than getting together with my fellow believers and getting into a church and being engaged. There's so much more out there you don't understand. i got to be involved in all these other things. I think John would clearly say, spirit of the Antichrist. When the things of God that are priorities to him are no longer our priorities, we bought into the spirit of Antichrist. And I've told you before, I'm at a place in my life, at my age, everything, if I'm the last person standing at the oasis one day and nobody continues to come to a church like ours, because, man, when you come to a church like ours, God, God's light is here through our worship and through the Word. And just like John has said, there's a lot of even Christians They'd rather stay in the darkness because when we get into the light, yeah, things begin to get showed up. And most Christians today, they don't want to be uncomfortable. They don't want to be challenged. They don't want to be convicted. They want to be able to slip into a nice church, hear a nice, fluffy, superficial, surfacy message from some, you know, pastor and, and have, be entertained by a bunch of slick musicians that, that have the skill of, of, of worldly bands and all of that and just leave unchanged every week and feel really good about themselves. Amen. Instead of thinking, maybe there's something more. And the more is, I'll tell you what the more is, Jesus. <laughs> That's the more. Because whatever Jesus offers us is always better than what anyone or anything else could offer us. What you and I will find in Jesus Christ is always better than what we will find outside of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. If you and I, again, I think are honest with ourselves, if you and I have ever been in that place in our life where fellowship with God was not the priority, and we began to fill our lives with things other than God because we thought 
That's the answer. That's what's going to make me happy. That's what's going to fulfill me. That's what's going to satisfy me. I think we found out, no, doesn't do it. Doesn't do it. I mean, you look at the Bible. Look at people like Solomon that said, I even had the wealth and the opportunity to be able to fill my life with whatever I wanted to. And guess what? Everything outside of God that me, King Solomon, filled my life with did nothing for me. Only God filled that void in my life. Only my fellowship with God filled that void in my life. Let me tell you how prevalent this is. Because a lot of Christians, I think, we misunderstand that Jesus' earthly ministry was always filled with thousands and thousands of people and that he was popular and all that. No, no, no. Jesus on his earthly ministry of three years was probably popular, as we know the word popular, maybe for a few months. A few months he had a big following. But then throughout those three years, people started to dwindle off and, and leave, leave him. In fact, there's a, a snapshot of a moment like this in Jesus' ministry. I want to take you back to from the Gospel of John where it says after Jesus had told his followers some pretty hard stuff, just like John's telling us. You know what the Bible says in John 6, 66? It says, after these things, many of his disciples quit following him and did not accompany him any longer. Now let that sink in. Jesus, we're talking about Jesus here. We're talking about Jesus. And the Bible says, that many, not, not a little number, many of his disciples who at one time were following him quit following him and decided we're not hanging around Jesus anymore. In a sense, what did they do? They broke fellowship. They said, ah, this guy's not for us. We're not getting out of this relationship what we want. He's not making us, you know, healthy, wealthy, and all this kind of stuff. He's not... You know, our lives really haven't changed that much, you know, at, since we started following him. So, eh, we're done. Now, here's the poignant part of this. You know what happens in that moment after all these people start walking away from Jesus? The Bible says in John 6, 67, that Jesus turns to the 12, the 12 disciples. And this is what he says to them. You don't want to go away too, do you? Can you imagine? Here's Jesus, the greatest love that you and I as human beings could ever experience, the greatest purpose we could ever find would be in him. There's nothing outside of him that's better than what's in him, and yet throughout history, the Bible even teaches us people who believe in him, who have a relationship with him, are constantly walking away from him. And Jesus turns to the 12 and says, you don't want to go away too, do you? And in John 6, 68, Peter speaks up. And you know, there's a lot of times where Peter stuck his foot in his mouth, but this was not one of those times. This was a good time for Peter. Because here was what Peter said to Jesus. Lord, to whom would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. 
Peter's basically saying, Jesus, if I left you, where's it better? <laughs> Who's going to give me what only you could give me? What's going to give me what you couldn't give me? Where am I going to turn to? Where am I going to go that it's going to be better than it would be with you? Peter says, I'm staying with you. And I think that's what John's heartbeat is here in this passage. Because he's writing to a group of Christians and he actually saw it with his own eyes. Remember, John was there that day in John 6 when that took place. He saw throughout Jesus' earthly ministry many of Jesus' disciples quit following him and stop following him and stop hanging around Jesus any longer. He saw it when they were real popular and when Jesus had crowds of people and where, you know, you just were walking on top of each other. But John was also there when there was just a few left. And John says, I've seen so many people walk away from Jesus. And John says, all I can say is I know that they're going to regret that one day. Because there's nothing you and I could ever experience outside of Jesus that would be better than what we can experience within Jesus. Amen. Has Jesus become our all in all? Is he the choice that we want to make every day? Do we really have the conviction that the highest quality of life as a human being I could ever experience is in fellowship with him? And that anything that takes me away from fellowship with him, I'm settling. I'm choosing second best over what's best. And then do I have the follow-up commitment in my life that it takes to stay close to Jesus? Because I'm speaking to all of us here, okay? This isn't me speaking to you. This is me speaking to me. By the way, I heard this wet message way more than you've heard it. This is probably the hundredth time I've heard this message. You and I are the same way in our earthly relationships, right? If we're not committed to a relationship, if we're not committed to stay close to someone, we don't. We automatically start drifting away. That's not what God wants to see happen with him or with us, which is why at the Oasis Church, we do things like hospitality and potlucks and, 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 and invite you and encourage you to get here early. Have your fellowship time from 9.30 to 10 o'clock and then at 10 o'clock, get in here and let's worship God together. Let's take these opportunities because we've only got 52 of them every year. And pretty soon the years go by and we look up and go, whoa, whoa. I'm not close to anybody at my church. I really don't have a close friend at the Oasis. I don't have anybody that I really connect with. Well, guess what? It takes commitment. It takes effort. And can I say this? Even at times when you're in a relationship or a friendship with somebody that maybe isn't going after you, keep going after them. You won't regret it. 
I think when we get to eternity, we will never regret the fellowship time we spent with Jesus or the fellowship time we spent with one another. Because guess why I say that? Because that's what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. We're going to be hanging out with Jesus and hanging out with each other. So if you don't like it here, oh, you're in big trouble, mister. So I want to end today. I, I know today has sort of been, oh, yeah, you like said some hard things. But I want to end with celebration. You know why? Because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I want us as Christians to acknowledge and declare that, yes, maybe we're not right there right now in our life, but yes, I do believe that the best life I could ever have is with Jesus, that the greatest experience I could ever have is with him, and that whatever Jesus offers me within himself is always going to be better than whatever the world or anything or anyone else could ever offer me. I believe that, Lord, and I want to declare that out in this auditorium this morning. Would you join me this morning? Let's stand and close in prayer. Father, I pray today that all of us as your children would be sort of re-inspired and re-motivated to making our fellowship time with you, God, the priority of our life. That nothing would crowd you out. That nothing would become more important to us than you and, and your church and your children and your work on this earth. Because, God, there is so much more in this world today that the world offers us to get involved with, more maybe than what any Christian has ever had to deal with in the history of the world. There's always stuff that we could be doing. But, God, sometimes the most spiritual thing that we can do is say no so that we can guard what is of highest value so we can make sure God that we have time in our daily schedule and daily calendar and weekly calendar not only to fellowship with you but to fellowship with our fellow Christians and to be part of a church like the Oasis where we're going to go after God even if we're the last Christian in the East Valley of Phoenix to go after God we're going to go after you God Everyone else may quit following you. Everyone else may have different priorities, God, but we're going to go after you. We're going to pursue you till we have our, no more breath left in us, God, because we truly believe with all of our heart that you, God, are more than enough for us. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.